Today's episode of the podcast was brought to you by Dikran Kabarajian. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Der Narek, the pastor of St. Sarkis Church, along with our co-host, Mr. Veh Bezdegian. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Let us start our show with a prayer from the prayers of the Armenian Church. Vorti astudzo, chushmarid astvads, vor hairagan zotsen khunaretsar, yev marmin arir surp kuis maryamen, mer pergutyan hamar, khachvetsar, taghvetsar, Harutyun Arir Merenneren, Yev Parkov Hampartsar Horakov, Meranchetsi Yergin Kitem Kuarchevet, Yerb Kutakavorutyampet Kas, Hishezis, Inchpes Avazaga Untunetsir, Yev Vohorme Ku Araradznerut, Yevinzi Pazma Meris. Son of God, true God, who descended from the bosom of the Father, and took flesh of the Holy Virgin Mary for our salvation, who was crucified, buried, and arose from the dead, and ascended with glory to the Father. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Remember me as the thief when you come with your kingdom. Have mercy upon your creatures and upon me, great sinner that I am. It's the season of Advent, and as we are recording, we are hearing our children in the sanctuary uh, practicing for tomorrow's um, concert. Sounds nice. It sounds beautiful. I hope they will do good. This is the Datavik Choir, by the way. The performance is on Sunday, December 10th, and this is their first time performing um, a full concert, and we hope that they will be doing um, a good job. It's a lot of pressure on the kids that I... 17 songs i think that that was what the set list is and that that's it's a lot of pressure to make sure that they uh they can deliver and provide like a professional style performance i don't think we're expecting them to be professionals you know the fact that they are there and they are um, singing and learning the hymns of our church i think that that in itself it's a good beginning and hopefully one day they will fall in love with the church music and be really good in what they do that's that's the expectations can you tell us about the decision to do Simply Christmas with the Datevig Choir, uh, what precipitated it, and give us a little bit of history on how this came to fruition for this year. I can answer with one word, and that would be pressure. Um, <laughs> when pressure. The, when when um, Mrs. Haigui Megarian came with the idea of starting a group like this, 
um, and they started rehearsing. I said, you need to set up a date for performance and you need to make sure that those kids are getting ready for something. That's the pressure. Mm. So we decided that this year, Simply Christmas would be something that they would do. And, you know, they started their rehearsals in late September. So they've been rehearsing for about two months now. And um, I know she's not too happy with, uh, with the outcome, but I'm more than happy. And hopefully the second and the thir- third performance would be much, much better. Well, I'm sure a choir director has very high standards and she's expecting it to be perfect. So, you know, I, I don't criticize, I wouldn't be critical of her for being, you know, tough on them. But we'll, we'll look at it from a different, you know, point of view. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, she is our Haigu is our one of our organ players here in, uh, at the church, but her professional training is conducting. So mm-hmm. basically, she is uh, doing what she was um, trained to do, and I think she's doing a great job. So we kick it off with simply Christmas tomorrow, and then we have cookie decorating uh, event next Sunday, and then our major Christmas event is taking place on. Armenian Christmas on January 6th, where our Saturday school uh, following church services, which will be conducted, which will be presided over, by the way, by uh, His Grace Bishop Anusha Vantanelian, um, we will go downstairs and um, the children from Saturday school will have their program and the entire community is um, invited to participate. So this year, the highlight is on Armenian Christmas Day and it, it, it's so good that um, January 6th is on a Saturday. so Yes. No excuses from no the community. Excuses. No excuses and, and we know a lot Everybody of Everybody should be here on January 6th. A lot of people will come. We know from experience from previous years. So it, it's going to be a wonderful celebration. And also, um, since we are in the season, I know our ladies' guild are planning um, a New Year's Eve party. So, so far, they have sold about 125 tickets. Wow, and the cap nice. is 150. So I'm just saying, we're if almost you're, there. It's if be you're sold interested, uh, you need to hurry up. Yeah, it, it should be another good event here. What is the uh, the entertainment this year? Do we have a band or a no, DJ? It's, or it's a like DJ. DJ. It's okay. a DJ. So um, family style type of a thing, just to come with with your friends and um, celebrate New Year's Eve. Uh, takes the pressure off, right? I always find New Year's is one of those holidays you're constantly trying to figure out what are we doing? Exactly. So this time, you know, the church is here, the community's here, you get together with friends. And, it's, and it's the nice most beautiful thing about celebrating New Year's Eve here at church is that once, you know, we ring New Year's and um, we kind of, um, that joy subsides a little bit, we come to the sanctuary and we start the year with a prayer. Usually Anusha Vansarpazan is with us. He says a few words and we have the prayer, which, you know, uh, it's a it's a great way to start the new year. Absolutely. So, so To greet the new year with a prayer is, uh, I think that's really uh, unique. And most of us don't think of New Year's in that context. And it's a, it's a good opportunity for people to, to open their hearts, to start off the year on the right foot, and then to get back together with uh, your friends and and loved ones and enjoy the celebration yeah that's something that you know that's a tradition that we maintained in my family uh, as a child growing up 12 o'clock mid at midnight we would turn off the lights and we would all say the lord's prayer and i was like what are we doing why are we turning off the lights and why are we saying this but it became a tradition and we have observed it and we observe it in in my family and it's a great thing it's the best time to to thank the lord for everything so 
But we're not there yet. We're still no, in the we're season still in of Christmas. Advent. Does it feel like Christmas to you, Dad Hyde, right now? No. I, I, I'll be honest. Today was the first day I felt like Christmas because it's snowing. I went to my physician this morning. I uh, had a little acupuncture treatment, and I was talking about I really felt driving over today, I felt like uh, it's Christmas. It feels like it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, as the song says. No, I'm still celebrating Thanksgiving, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, you and your wife hosted generously this year. We were uh, your guests, and uh, RP did a, a great job. And uh, I had to mention that we had so uh, such a great time uh, at your house. Well, you guys enhanced the experience for everybody and added to the festivities and, and, and the affection that we all enjoyed together and all the great food, of course. Of course, yes. And RP did a great job, cooked like a turkey and a half. Didn't turkey do the second half. turkey, <laughs> full second turkey. She did uh, segments of the turkey. That was very wise. Yeah. So it was. It was a good time. Thank That's you. That's good. Much. We live in a culture, and the culture has a different idea about what is this season is all about, and that's you know. It is encouraging us to go out and buy more stuff uh, so that you can be ready to celebrate Christmas. Make sure that you have uh, all the gifts for everyone. Make sure that um, you have your plans for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day so that you have this wonderful party and you will be happy if you have that party and those gifts. And with that, there's a lot of stress that is affiliated. And I know a lot of people feel stressed um, in this season particularly. So for that reason, today we have invited Dr. Hagop Gorgisian, who is Assistant Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at the School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. He's an adjunct clinical professor of psychiatry at St. George University, and he is the Director of Consultation of the Department of Mount Sinai Services at Queen's Hospital. He also has a private practice in Kew Gardens, and he was the one who helped me to have my internship at that facility and the experience that I've gained there as a mental health counselor was something that I always appreciate and something that um, has affected me enormously. So Dr. Hagop Gorgisian. Welcome wel Dr. Hagop. Welcome to the podcast. It is nice to have you here on the podcast. Thank you Derna and Ve for uh, the invitation. Thanks. It's our pleasure. So today we're going to talk about mental health and specifically about stress. So that, why don't we start with the very simple question? What is stress? Stress, actually, it's a, like a demand, threat, pressure, which we have to deal with it. It's normal part of living. And sometimes it's helpful to have some stress because that will help you to be more tense, more focused, more energetic, and you'll be able to handle the assigned work, like responsibilities, like say you have an exam, and so that will help you to study more. Without going into too much um, details, what is the difference between stress and anxiety? A lot of people are complaining with anxiety. And, you know, I've been reading articles about little children who wake up in the morning and they have this stomach sickness. They don't want to go to school. You know, that is some form of uh, problem that they are facing. 
And on the other hand, you hear a lot of people complaining that they go home and they are so stressed and they cannot fall asleep. Initially, those two might look the same or similar, but maybe they are different. What is the professional perspective on those two symptoms? First, I will talk about the sequelae or what's the, the presentations and how the stress affects on the body. Definitely, as we mentioned, I mentioned before that there is, uh, let's say, behavioral, cognitive, emotional things. Why? Why all this happening? Because when the body gets exposed to any threat or stress, we, the body automatically goes to the flight and fight mode, which means the body is ready and system automatically work, which is secretes noradrenaline and epinephrine uh, into your system and makes you to be ready to fight and flight. So your muscle has to be tense, your heart beat fast, you feel like you're focusing on if there is something threat is coming or something you have to face it. So that's the major simple at the initial reaction. And the body after that gives different messages and there is more neurotransmitters comes out and more of hormonal changes happen in your body that if it stays for a long time, it can cause effect on your body. Physically, you will have body ache, your muscle will be tense, you're complaining pain here and there, you will complain that you can't sleep well, you're overeating, undereating then you have behavioral things that you will resort more for eating or resort more for drinking or drugs or anything that thinking that will help you to uh, help the stress and not only that you will start to uh, be dif having difficulty focusing concentrating working on your project so all this, it's, 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 and beside that, the, the part that which is important that people complain about it, which is the emotional part. People will be get, getting depressed, people will be anxious, people will feel that they are isolating themselves, they feel lonely, they have pessimistic view of life. So all this comes out because it's constant stress and they're not adapting well to that stress. So... <clears throat> What I'm hearing you saying, doctor, is that stress is a natural response to a threat. You know, as if you're saying that it's our instinct that re responds uh, that way to any persisting danger. But there's also research, this is emerging uh, studies, that anxiety and or stress is a learned behavior. How do you comment on that? Is it instinct or it's something that... We have learned. And let me tell you a little bit about the research. Basically, it's saying if you live in a place where there was a lot of anxiety, dealing with the problems, the parents didn't know how to handle the situations where, and they were creating situations where anxiety was persistent, the child will learn that anxiety. And that will be their way of answering any or handling any threats in their lives. So how much is it something that comes from our instincts and how much of it is learned behavior? There is physiological part for stress, definitely. There is reaction of the body for any, any demand, extra demand. 
the the difference is that some people are more resilient than others some people are able to manage it some people will get Uh, life punches and they will roll. Some people will just scramble because they have a small frustration. Uh, to answer to your point, some people when they feel helpless and they can't m tolerate their extra strength that they're coming because they don't know how the skills, how to control their, how they, uh, their self-confidence, their attitude towards the things, their optimism, their hopefulness, all that, if not there, they learned, learned helplessness, which means they will not, they will learn that they can't handle it. So how, how do, can we help people like that who are hopeless and helpless? Is there hope for them? Always there is hope. Always there is help. I like your answer. <laughs> Dr. Hagop, um, we're talking about stress and, you know, maybe some of our listeners are interested to know where stress and anxiety come from. But I bet that there are a lot of them know, want to know how to cope with that stress. So what would you tell them for someone who is really stressful and they can't fall asleep at night and during the day they have all the symptoms that, you know, they can't have a normal life? What would be, what would be the, the, the best answer for that? And I know Veh has a question. Yeah, uh, well, it's just a follow-up to your question. But I, I was just admitting to you both before we started the podcast that stress is very real and palpable for so many of us. I know I lived through it. And, you know, there's heightened times. And I guess we're talking about the Christmas season. There's additional added stresses that people are managing and having to deal with. I'm very curious to know if there are steps that we can take for coping mechanisms, things that we can do to actually manage that stress. Because I know, and I'm admitting, and I admitted it to you, I have no problem saying it openly. I have a hard time sleeping at night. Uh, you know, if there's things that are constantly going through my brain, I don't know how to shut it down. And it's all the pressures of work and professional obligations and, and also, you know, the, the stuff that we deal with in our normal routine with our families. So I'm very curious to know, if uh, I, is there a panacea or is it stuff that, are there specific s steps or skills that we can try to refine to get better at managing it? First important thing for stress management is that to, to have networks, support network around you. And that helps a lot to have friends, family, and to surround yourself that that will help much more than being lonely, isolated, and not con in contact with anybody. The things that you have to improve in yourself, or there is a lot of ways. I mean, the simple thing, uh, the stress is when I was talking about flight and fight, your breathing starts to be fast. So that you have to learn at times to deep breathing. Why deep breathing is important? Because the brain has to get enough oxygen. 20% of oxygen goes to brain and the brain is like maybe 2% of the weight of the body. So it's you need to take that deep breath so that you can counteract the effect of the stress that's building up physiologically in your body. The same, people say, stretch your arms, stretch your... Because when you're in flight and fight mode, your body is tense, your muscles are tense. So you have to relax it. So when consciously you're doing those things, your stress level can go down. There is a lot of therapy. Like uh, people, uh, I mean, one of the important things is that time management is important you have to look for time management and priorities what can you 
not do it today, can do it next week, what can be done urgently, emergently, or not done at all. So that's part of it. The other part is that you have to put as a routine, a lot of studies show that exercise is very helpful to decrease that level of tense uh, body and, and helps you to feel a little bit better. So always think about breakdown and decompress means you're working, you're, you need a break, take a break, don't talk about your work. You need a coffee break, go for a walk. Do something every time when you feel the tense, do something that will consciously, you will be able to minimize your stress level. There are many ways. Uh, people do yoga, tai chi, they, they go to massage therapy, music therapy, art therapy, uh, biofeedback, uh, meditation there are many apps on your phone you can use it so those are small things but i think the demand has to be reasonable on you and if there is the you feel it's too much then you have to think how to manage those things knowledge and preparation is important factor also you know that the christmas is coming you know that there are these things so preparation for the christmas it's important Every year you will learn something that you didn't do well or you were stressed out. The following year you have to manage that part that you weren't handling well that year. So those are the main things. I mean, always there is, at the end, if there, you can't help yourself, you feel difficulty that you can manage, you, go, you can go for counseling, there is stress relief counseling, and that will help you too. So... To build up the confidence is important because you will see the problems as manageable. You will be able to manage it. You will not be, you will take it in a stride instead of kick off the course. And the other thing that you have to think about it is your, how to look, your perception to these things. Somebody will be, let's say, uh, seeing the snow today and will say it's beautiful, it's, uh, we have a nice view, or somebody else will say, oh, snow is back again, I have to shovel. So it's your perception to the things are important too. I don't know if you have a more specific question you can ask, but the help is there. That's why it's important. I know sometimes it's difficult for some people to ask for help, but if the family members or anybody suggesting you help, you should listen to it. You know. I think societally, I don't know, maybe it's more accepted nowadays. You guys are both mental health professionals, so you could speak to it, but I know there's a bit of reticence generally, maybe also from within our Armenian community too, where it's like, no, no, I'm just going to deal with this myself. I, I can manage this. Um, have you guys felt that? Is that something that you've been able to successfully overcome, that, that tendency or um, the, the, the feeling that people have about not wanting to go specifically for treatment? I mean, I think we spent um, a whole lecture last year on this, Dr. Hagop, um, That's with right, you yeah, and I mean. Dr. Carlo and uh, Dr. Yeras and the stigma about mental health is something that very present in our Armenian community. I will speak about my perspective and then I will uh, also invite Dr. Hagop to give his answer. What I've experienced is that uh, most of the time people are, you know, this is not for me. Yes, you know, they always think that getting help means that you are losing it and uh, you should be part of the mental institution. 
Um, so they refuse that. And then you see the extreme opposite when people are really in bad situation and, you know, um, they're trying to find someone uh, who will be able to help them. The other thing that I find, which is very odd, is that sometimes you will get a phone call or people would, would come here to say to, to, to your church and they're like, Dad, hi, we need a prayer because... Um, and, you know, it's all this religious preoccupation to what seems to be um, a diagnosable mental health uh, situation. So the education also is something very important to, to read the symptoms and to be able to, to treat them accordingly. So those things that I've experienced, and I'm going to ask Dr. Agup to give his perspective. The stigma is not in Armenian community only. I see it in many other cultures. I mean, and I think, but people are starting to talk more because they are seeing more on the media. They are they feel comfortable, and to start, that's the problem. Sometimes, I mean, uh, the point with uh, there is no specific things that I see with Armenian community. Most of them, I see it with other communities also. The fear that the shame actually that's the thing that most of the com comes that the shame and that they will be alienated that there will be something people will not uh, they will stay away from them and that's the feeling usually expressed by many people but generally the new generation the young adults usually it's they are in all communities they are more, much more open they talk they in every detail about their life issues i have two questions number one it, you were talking about the younger people, I think millennials and I guess generation Yers, if you want to call them that, tend to be, I put myself more, I guess, in the generation X, X category, um, tend to be a little more inclined or comfortable going for treatment. And also, I've noticed the trend of having them be prescribed medications. And a lot of younger adults are being prescribed medications. Are we over-prescribing our way out of this problem? Or is this an issue or do you think it's just part of the natural course of treatment? That's my first question. My second question I would direct to Deadhide, which is, can you explain some of the cross-section between uh, the mental health aspects of your professional life and the religious side and how they are intertwined and how you're able to use that to leverage both people's faith and deal with um, overcoming these types of issues of challenges that people have? I mean, do you, the issue with over-prescribing, I don't know. There are more issues with the children over-prescribed. There is data about that. But uh, generally, usually people ask for psychiatric help after they tried many things. They try self-help group. They try self-education online. They go to counseling, and then they realize that the therapist will state, okay, you need more than that because you're not progressing anymore. And that's where the medication started. I mean, we're talking about anxiety and depression, I mean, which is the majority of the mental health issues. There are other mental illnesses, which is not that common, which it's much less presented in, let's say, in general outpatient clinics than in inpatient units in inpatient hospitals so that's the difference so i think if somebody already if he's on medication and the person feels well they will automatically they will stop it they will give a chance to be without medication and try if they can handle the life events or can be less stressed out 
but I don't think anybody will give any medication to anybody if there is no symptoms and no dysfunction in their life. Could be relational, could be occupational, could be educational. So usually there, there will be good reason to start on medication. And to answer the second question, I would say that I think there is a fine line being between being um, very religious and between dealing with mental health issues. And um, that's a very dangerous line, and uh, we need to be very, very careful with that. What um, I see presented a lot uh, in, in not only the Armenian communities, but also in, in every uh, part of our society is that it's very easy for people to see things from a religious pers perspective than from a mental health perspective. For example, a person would come and tell me about their child or their um, a family member saying that um, this this member of our family has some you know demonic force in him or, or in her. He hasn't been sleeping for three days and is you know is saying things or she's saying things that they've never said before. They can't even stop talking. I don't know what happened to them. Well, what they are describing to me, and correct me, Dr. Hagop, if, if I'm mistaken here, it's a manic uh, stage that they are dealing with, and probably they are dealing with bipolar too, since this person hasn't slept for three days. They need hospitalization right away. They don't need a prayer. I'm not saying prayers do not help, but we are talking about very specific cases. Or they may come and say that, you know, something wrong happened, and since then, since this one incident, my husband or my wife is not able to get up in the morning. They can't find any pleasure. And, you know, back in the day, we used to have, uh, we used to find pleasure in the little things that we used to do, but now that is gone. Something, you know, happened. Or something like that. And there's a superstition also, you know, whereas they're describing to us a classical major depressive disorder symptoms. So they need treatment right away. So it is very important. And, you know, when I was going to college and learning about mental health, they knew that I was a pastor. And my professors would always tell me that you guys, the pastors, are the gatekeepers of the mental health community because a lot of people would find it easier to come and talk to a pastor about what is going on. And if you do not know the symptoms, you might be preaching to them and praying to them, and that will be prolonging their misery. The worst case is when they start, you know, seeing visions and hearing voices. Those clearly cases that they need to see a psychiatrist and take the adequate care of themselves. Would you like to add anything to... Yeah, I think usually people, even for medical doctors. They come and usually they complain about physical symptoms. That's common. They come, I have headache, I'm tense, I'm not sleeping well, I'm not eating. And most of the time, the presentation usually is, is a physical symptom. And it's when we see, I see patients, usually it's, they have medical and psychiatric issues. And sometimes they present first time on the medical floor with psychiatric issues and most of the time it's they it's easy to present it's more acceptable to say that uh, I have physical symptoms than to say that I am depressed and I am uh, I need help I need help usually I mean especially for males females are more talkative they will say talk more about their symptoms but male usually they will not say that 
they will come out with more physical symptoms. Dr. Hagop, I mentioned earlier about um, last year's mental health lecture, and it, we know that we are working on planning another event for um, this year. We don't know the date yet, but um, we know it's coming up in either late January or February, um, where you will come and um, educate our parishioners more on mel- mental health issues. But before I let you go, I was wondering, what are your final thoughts that you would want to share with our listeners today? To summarize generally, I, w- I would say that stress is part of life. It will be there. Uh, there are good, there is good stress and there is bad stress, let's say, that lead to stress, more stress and more physical and emotional symptoms. It's important always to look at your emotions, deal with your emotions and decompress yourself when you feel stressed out. If you can't help yourself and you feel the need for professional help, always there will be people that will provide you with more skills to handle the stress. Dr. Gorgisian, thank you very much for stopping by. The information that you provided is very helpful, and I'm sure our listeners are very much interested to learning more. And for that, we invite them to be present here when we have that lecture. Thank you very much. So we mentioned that it's the season of Advent and we spoke about how culture perceives Advent. But when we come to church, the church teaches us that this is the season of waiting and anticipation for the Messiah. And when we follow what the church is teaching us, we come to see that this is a season where we can find comfort and joy, as the carol says, mm-hmm. because... Um, we are in a season where we're expecting the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus is the real reason for our joy. That happiness that we expect to find in gifts and the parties and the family gatherings is the superficial happiness. But there is a deeper sense of joy, and that is found in our faith. When we know that the Son of God was manifested, came, and was incarnated, He became one of us to show us the way to be with God. And that is the greatest joy and the greatest source of comfort that we can find in our faith. Deadeye, let me ask you something, a philosophical question, or I guess not really philosophical, but more just a comparative analysis of Christmas in the United States or the Western world versus um, some the, the rest of the world, developing world third world, sure. whatever you want to call it. Do you find that the, the commercialization of Christianity is more so paramount in our sort of Western societies? And from your experience, having lived overseas in the Middle East, did you find that it was as commercial, less commercial? What's, I'd just like to know what, the, what your, your thoughts are on that. I think it was definitely less commercial, but I will answer your question 
um, giving two different experiences that I've lived. As you know, I was born in Kesap, uh, Syria, and Kesap, when I was growing up in Kesap in the 80s, was a village. We didn't have much. So Christmas for us was purely religious. Mm-hmm. On Christmas Eve, we sang carols. We went to every Armenian house in the village, and we sang carols. The following day, on Christmas Day, we would wake up, go um, to the um, fountain, and wash our faces at the fountain. Why? Because Jesus was baptized, so we had to go somewhere and do something extra. This was the instructions of my grandma, by the way. And we didn't understand why she wanted us to do that. But, you know, now as an adult, I reflect on it, and it found to be something very different. So... Um, Christmas was very religious. We all went to church, and after church, we went to people's houses. People came to our house, and there was that sense of celebration. When I went to Lebanon and I became a seminarian, I started seeing the commercialization because, you know, Beirut obviously is a very, uh, I mean, much larger town and um, very open to the West. So that Western elements were very much present there. Um, but still, that religious part was present. Um, here in the United States, unfortunately, the religious part is like very, very, very small. secondary. Yeah, compared yeah. to the cultural uh, manifestation of, of, um, of the season, which is still good. As long as we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, it, it's, it's a good thing. Well, if we remember that it's the birth of Jesus. That's what we... That's what we lose sight of a lot of the times. It's Christmas or whatever the holidays are and... You know, we focus entirely, like you said, on the gift giving. I try to, I, I, f- I struggle with this because you want to give a lot to your kids, but you want them to recognize that there's more to this season than just kaniat chahalik bidiestanak. You know, all the kid, the gift, gifts that you're going to be receiving. I think it's something that you know we need to repeat to them every year. So until it, it gets into your head, and they know that mm-hmm. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. <laughs> Not about giving gifts and receiving gifts, because we have received the biggest gift, and that is salvation that Jesus brings to us. Absolutely. That being said, let us do our Bible reading and reflection, and today's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. This is a beautiful reading, and it is about the first commissioning of the 12 disciples. We know that uh, we have the grand commissioning at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus sends the 12 disciples to go to all corners of the world and do baptize and make disciples of all nations. But this is different. This is happening while Jesus was still with us, before the crucifixion and the resurrection, as if this was some sort of a training and he was helping the disciples to have a better understanding of what their job would be eventually. 
And what's interesting about this reading there is that Jesus is instructing the disciples to have utmost confidence and to trust God. And that's why we go to the details and we read Jesus telling the disciples um, not to to take with them um, unnecessary stuff. You would say, bread? That's pretty necessary, you know? Um, Or money, or belts. Um, But with this, Jesus is trying to tell them that you have to trust God and not to trust the things that you have or the things that you have stored in your brain. Because preaching the Word of God uh, is not something that I do or you do or we do. It's something that the Holy Spirit helps us to, to do and we, we just become instruments. And we need to have that openness so that the Holy Spirit can communicate through us the messages that God wants us to communicate. You find throughout the Bible, at least in the New Testament, there's a lot of discussion about casting out demons. And it's funny, in light of our conversation earlier, where people, maybe some still believe that these demons may exist, whether internally or in their homes or what have you. Um, Was this more of a a phenomenon of the era? Like, do we still struggle? What what do we talk about when we talk about casting out demons? And is is it more just sort of another illustration of people's internal struggles? Well, I wouldn't um, try to say that all the demons that the New Testament speaks about is related to mental health. Although sometimes when we read certain symptoms of what was going on, we see that maybe this is something that is related to mental health. However, we know that um, we are exposed to another world. St. Paul speaks about this, and he says that our fight is a spiritual uh, fight, our spiritual battle, and we are fighting against um, Satan and all the demons that they are attacking us. So those are real stuff. And, you know, when certain, when some people open themselves to that world, you know, there are things that they can come and they can um, ruin your life. This is a totally different discussion there, and uh, we can go very deep into this. Another time. Yes, another time. But here's the thing. I am not a priest who has a training in casting out demons. Mm -hmm. It requires special training for certain priests to be able to do that. I am just a parish priest. And if anyone thinks that they struggle with um, demons and powers that are from another world, I will be more than happy to pray with them and to pray for them. But I am not an expert in this in this topic, and I will not be able to give you a definitive answer. Yeah, I didn't imply that you were. I was talking more just generally what how we define and what it means to have these these demons, whether it's truly the manifestation of a spiritual force or if it's something that is more just a, a challenge in your life that you're trying to cast out. And, you know, that helps illustrate it for sure. me. So thank you. But what I take from this... Uh, this reading today is that, you know, especially under the light of all the stress that we spoke about, that how, you know, we are programmed that we need to provide and do more. This reading today is telling us that we need to trust God and rely on God and know that, you know, God will provide to us all the things that we need in order to um, be good fathers, good good, um, family members, and um, be positive influence in the life of the people who are around us.
Today's hymn is called Chorurt Metz. This is the hymn of Nativity in the Armenian Apostolic Church. We're playing this hymn a little bit early, but remember, we're doing the podcast only once a month, and I hope you are enjoying that. Thank you very much for being faithful listeners. I would like to thank Mr. Vehbazdikian for being such a great co-host, Mr. Greg Doster for all the hard work that he does, and Dr. Hagop Gorgisian, who was with us today for the interview. I'd like to thank our sponsors and all our listeners. May God bless you all.
Today's episode of the podcast was brought to you by Dikran Kabarajian. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode of the podcast, please dial the church office at 718-224-2275.